Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collings, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 24 of the podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about Stargate Origins. This movie was originally produced as a web series in 2018 as a way of testing the waters for bringing Stargate back to our screens. It was edited into a feature length movie and titled Stargate Origins Catherine. The series was available on the dedicated streaming service Stargate Command. I watched the first couple of episodes which were free. I always intended to pay for the subscription to finish it but life got in the way, and the next thing I knew, the service was cancelled. I guess I should have given it my support earlier. Anyway, the film is available to buy or rent on YouTube, so I'm going to give it a go. Now, as I understand it, the story was created to follow on from the original Stargate movie, but perhaps not specifically intended to fit in with the canon of the TV shows. So it'll be interesting to see if I can make it work with canon in my head. The description on IMDb reads, Stargate Origins explores the journey that sets a young Catherine Langford on the way to helping unlock the secrets of an ancient technology that could change the very course of humanity. It was written by Mark Ilvedson and Justin Michael Terry. It was directed by Mercedes Bryce Morgan and it first aired on the 19th of June 2018. Let's watch Stargate Origins, Catherine. We open in Giza, Egypt, 1928. These scenes mirror very closely the original Stargate movie, as the gate is discovered. Then we jump forward 10 years. It's 1938. Catherine is all grown up. She's studying the gate, still trying to figure out what it is. Catherine is played by Aussie actor Ellie Gall. She's using an American accent. In the original movie, Catherine sounded European. Her father is played by Connor Trenier, who we all know as Trip Tucker in Star Trek Enterprise, or as Michael in Stargate Atlantis. Surprisingly, he looks the part, although I'm really not sure he's quite old enough to be playing Catherine's father. The gate is still in Egypt, and that's where we are. They're running out of funding, so it looks like it's all over. And then some Nazis break in. Note that this is just one year before the Stargate will be transported to America, where the Nazis will make a second attempt to get their hands on it. The Nazis have a picture of the Stargate transporting people. We've seen this picture before in the movie, on Abydos I think. Nazis are always a good mix with archaeology adventures, so their inclusion here is logical and welcome. They are powering the gate themselves and dialing it manually. That's consistent with SG-1. We see the standard whoosh effect, and then the backwards whoosh out the back of the gate, just like in the movie. The TV shows never did this, but it is canon according to the movie. The Nazis have figured out the address, but the Langfords didn't see what the dialing sequence was. So that kind of works. The Nazis push Langford through the gate and follow him. Catherine steals the notes from the Nazi guard. Then we cut to Catherine's boyfriend. 
He's a British military officer stationed in Egypt. Catherine goes to him and his mate Wasif for help. Now we get to see Langford arriving through the gate. This is clearly meant to be Abydos, but it looks a lot more pristine, like a brand new movie set, not an ancient pyramid. And we see a DHD. This is a piece of lore that was first introduced by SG-1, so it's clear at this point that they're not abandoning the TV shows, which is wonderful. They mention it is just like the one they have in Berlin. So that's interesting. That's where the Earth DHD is at the moment. The Russians will eventually have it. Perhaps they take it as spoils after Germany is defeated at the end of World War II. There are instances of rather silly humour in this movie. Not the kind of humour in SG-1. Jack O'Neill gave some great one-liners, which were very much in line with his character. This is much sillier and more juvenile kind of humour, which I'm not really into. We get to see areas of the Abydos Pyramid we haven't seen before. There's a throne room. Langford tries to speak to them in ancient Egyptian. It took Daniel a while to figure out how to pronounce it. The aliens don't seem to understand, or at least don't care to respond. Langford assumes they've travelled through time into the past. An interesting assumption, and not entirely unreasonable. Except for the advanced weapon used by the gold lady. So at this point, thanks to the Nazis' notes, Catherine has the address to dial Abydos. Even Ernest didn't figure that out back in SG-1. He went to another planet entirely. Catherine never figured out how to dial Abydos until Daniel offered his help. How are they going to explain this? And she knows how to use the point of origin symbol for Earth. That is the real problem. James's reluctance to enter the gate is emotionally believable. Catherine wants to rescue her father. She'll risk anything for that. But for James, this represents a very dangerous unknown. He's a military man. He's used to doing things a certain way. Walking into that thing like this would be an irresponsible act. But they are convinced by the threat of the Nazis bringing back an unknown technology. Catherine takes a moment to appreciate the wonder of the gate, just like Daniel did in the movie. Then she steps in and we are treated to the first person view through the wormhole. Man, I've missed that. It's a good reproduction of the original effect. The temple is clean because it's being maintained by human slaves. It still looks too new though. So how did the Nazi know the address for Earth? Daniel found it on a tablet here in Abydos. So maybe Catherine was just typing in the same code that brought them here. But of course the point of origin symbol is different, so she doesn't know what to do. The floating balls are new, I wonder what they're about. I'm wondering, why is the warrior hitting them with her staff weapon when she could just shoot them? And where do the rings beam her to? There's no ship above, is there? There might be an orbit. We see a boy with a bucket, and I wonder, could this be a young Kusaf? That would be cool. Things get interesting here. The gold woman has a baby, and we learn this is a Harkexis, the offspring of two gold hosts, strictly forbidden because it will contain the genetic memory of the gold. They really are drawing on the lore of SG-1. This is cool. So the warrior is Sir Ket, an Egyptian scorpion goddess, generally thought of as a protective goddess, but she also had a darker side. 
It seems she and her queen are hiding here to raise the illegal child. Ra doesn't know of it, and it also seems they're part of a revolution. I wonder, could they be Tok'ra? We still don't know the name of the queen. And it turns out, I was right. The kid is Kusaf. He reminds me a lot of Skara, which makes sense, since Skara will be his son. But I'm confused. James' name is now Bill? What? So in the struggle, trying to escape from the human slaves, Wasif is stabbed. But the slaves have a gold healing device. Of course, when they see the pendant with the symbol of Ra, they react much the same way their descendants will in the original Stargate movie. So having seen the home movie of Hitler, the gold resistance are considering allying with the Nazis. I can think of better allies to choose. The Queen wants more slaves for her cause. I guess she's still got that evil streak we would expect from a gold. The Queen offers the Nazis a small piece of Nakwada. Of course, they don't understand its value until she demonstrates. Apparently, it can also be used to offer eternal youth. I suppose it is one of the active components of the sarcophagus. The Queen's name is Aset. She has fallen out of favour with Ra, which we already know. Aset is another name for Isis, goddess of magic, fertility, and motherhood. Makes sense that she'd be the mother of the Herkexus. Isis has been mentioned in SG-1 before. Apparently in the future, her symbiote will end up in a jar, imprisoned by Seth. The big mystery here is, how did the Nazi know so much? Catherine begins to understand there is more at stake here than just her father. The Nazis cannot be allowed to have access to this alien technology. But you kind of already knew that. Because that's how she convinced her male companions to join her through the gate. So Catherine and James slash Bill are offered Kusuf's tent for the night. I always find it odd in period pieces like this where people have sex outside of marriage. I'm sure it happened, but it certainly wasn't accepted in the way that it tends to be nowadays. Next morning, the gold appear with Langford in tow. James slash Bill is wise to advise caution to Catherine. They can see her father is okay, but they can't effectively rescue him right now. And the Nazi woman is realising how evil her boss is. Even amongst other Nazis, he stands out as bad. <laughs> At the same time, Kasuf begins to see that Aset is not all she's cracked up to be. And there's a nice little callback when Kasuf says that reading is forbidden. Kasuf sends them off to the same cave where Sharae takes Daniel, where they can find the address to dial Earth. So at this point in time, the tablet with the address is complete. The point of origin has not yet worn off, but it is cracked. Nice little touch. And then we learn that Catherine deliberately destroyed the seventh symbol on that tablet so the Nazis couldn't find the way home. That's kind of cool. So just as the Nazi leader is going to kill Langford, Ra shows up in his spaceship. I also find it a little surprising that Catherine and James are not at least a little shocked when Wasif and the man who stabbed him begin to kiss. Again, of course there were people with same-sex attraction in the 30s, and I have no doubt they acted on it, but it wasn't socially accepted then as it is now. The scene just felt a little forced, especially since the relationship is betrayed so shallowly. 
For that matter, Catherine and James's relationship is pretty shallow too. Romantic relationships are definitely not the strength of this movie. The Nazi no longer cares about serving Hitler. He's beyond Earth politics. He wants to rule Earth as a god, just like the Gauld. And so, he's killed by his own associate. She kills him in the name of Hitler, but at least she kills him. And then, Saket turns out to be working for Ra. And this is how they make the movie work in canon. A set erases all of their memories. More than that, she plants the suggestion in their minds to assemble a team to one day return through the Stargate to defeat Ra. Which of course is exactly what will happen. So, Wasif and the other guys are turned into Horus Guards. That could even explain why some of the Horus Guards in the movie don't have Jafar pouches. And it turns out, that wasn't the same temple as in the movie. Which explains why it didn't quite look the same. The gate is moved and that temple is destroyed. Poor Catherine isn't very lucky in love. James gave his life for her and she doesn't even remember him. And then later, Ernest gets stranded on an alien planet. So, that was an interesting little story. It adds a little to the Stargate mythos, but in a lot of ways, it feels like an inferior copy of the original movie. It certainly mirrors most of the story beats. Still, it was nice to see something, anything Stargate, on screen again. I can see why this web series didn't exactly set the fandom on fire, and it's sad that nothing more has happened since 2019. I can only hope that this isn't the last we'll see of Stargate. Reportedly, MGM are interested in talking to people like Brad Wright to maybe bring the franchise back to life. Only time will tell, but the recent return of Jean-Luc Picard to our screens proves that it's never too late. So there's actually only one Star Trek The Next Generation movie that I haven't covered yet, and that is Star Trek Insurrection. So next episode, in two weeks' time, we're going to be looking at Star Trek Insurrection. And then, two weeks after that, we're going to launch into the DC Extended Universe and talk about Man of Steel. Catch you then.